This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody because... Oh, yes. Yeah. That is so good. And the problem is there's at least one person who works in advertising here, and I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you are part of the problem. <laughs> I, I still love you and, and, and appreciate you, and I'm grateful you're here tonight. So thank you. But Ryan, I guess we should go ahead and get started. Hello, Minimizers. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And tonight we are live in Nashville. We love you. We love you more. Now, we have a third chair up here, not just for my book. That's not the special guest. You are in for an amazing treat tonight. And so, you know, it could just be me and Ryan pontificating on the stage, but this is going to be so much better. Here's how this works. There's a microphone back there. Someone needs to break the seal. They line up. You start asking questions. So whoever wants to start that, because here's what happens. One person goes up there. It takes a little while for them. But as soon as they do, then quite a few people will start to line up, and we will uh, we'll start answering your questions. But before then, I want to welcome to the stage, you know him from Netflix, you know him from the Minimalist Podcast, you know him from his hit show, Revolution of One, also the company that he helped found, Praxis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, our good friend, T.K. Coleman. Yeah! So what people don't know... That girl is literally swooning right now, TK. <laughs> I'll be honest, Ron, I, I I'm swooning a, a little bit, to too. I paid her really well to be out there. So what people don't know is y'all wrote the book, but I wrote the soundtrack. <laughs> there's, there's a theme song. It's actually a duet with Ryan and I. Love people. Use things. Because the opposite never works. <laughs> it's going to be a Christmas album. It's coming out December 25th, 2525. That's, that, 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 that's a hidden track right there. So, so you know what I love about our conversations? Before we get to some of these questions here, because this is my favorite part of, of what we do, um, is whenever, you know, TK, TK's been on our podcast nine times now, and yeah, uh, some, some people call him the third minimalist at this point. And the thing that I love is Ryan and I disagree about almost everything, but we do so in a beautiful way. But then when TK comes on, somehow we simultaneously disagree and agree with him all at the same time. I don't know how it works. So I'll give you an example. In the last election, I know we're not supposed to talk politics, right? But I'm going to go there for a moment. All three of us voted differently in one election, and yet we can still be the best of friends. We can have different beliefs. We can have different backgrounds. We can even have a different understanding of the world. But the key is that we try to understand each other's worldview. And I think it gives us a better, more well-rounded understanding of life as a result. That's right. 
Differences are funny, man. Um, there's a quote by Mother Angelica that says, uh, yeah, th thank you. <laughs> Public speaking 101. Huh? There's a quote by Mother Angelica that says, uh, being a saint would be easy if it weren't for other people, right? Um, as a matter of fact, I got, a, I got a story about love people use things. Can I, can tell, I me, tell a yeah. story? Okay, so we've been all traveling for like the past month, man. And I swear, whenever I'm on the road, like just the craziest, funniest things always happen. Uh, so one of my peculiarities is I like to start my mornings by like finding sacred spaces where I can meditate. I like botanical gardens, but what I've really been liking as of late are Catholic churches and cathedrals. So I use this app, Mass Time, Mass Time. We're in a cathedral org. right now. Look at this. It's beautiful. Yeah. Mass Time, masstimes.org. And what you do is you put in your zip code and, and it shows you all the cathedrals like within a 15 mile radius. And you pick the day of the week and it shows you like which ones have mass times by the hour. And then you can change that setting to see which churches are going to be empty so that you can go in there and pray when there's no service. So I found this beautiful, gorgeous place. I go there early in the morning. I got the whole church to myself and I just sit in there in the quiet and I pray. Perfect start to the day. So I'm walking out of the church and there's this guy standing by the door, almost as if he saw me come in and was waiting for me to finish. And uh, he looks at me and he says, hey, brother, I need to talk to you. And so I'm, I'm walking towards the door. I got to pass him to get out. And I go, what's up, man? And as I get close to him, his clothes are real tattered. Um, he doesn't smell too good. And by all the markings, he seems like he's a guy that's probably homeless or has fallen on really hard times. And I say, what's up, man? And he, so he starts telling me a lot of his struggles. And I say, well, what can I do? And he says, whatever you can do, man, like anything. And so I think to myself, well, it's probably not going to be very satisfying for me to tell him I can pray for him. I don't usually carry a lot of cash around. I like to debit my way through the day. But I do have a $20 bill in my wallet. And I think to myself, ooh, I wish I had a five. I, w <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a few singles, man. You ever, you ever... Did you ask me if you had change? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and something in me said, why can't you give him the whole 20? And I thought, you know what? This guy will probably appreciate the 20 a lot more than me. And I just felt this good sense of peace fill my soul. And I pulled out the 20 and I gave that to him. And I says, there you go, man. And he looks at me like with this super irritated scowl. And he says, man, you ain't even got $40. <laughs> and and I, 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 thought of, <laughs> I thought about that story in the Bible where Jesus goes to the temple and the money lenders are exploiting the people and he gets angry and flips over the tables. I felt like that, except minus the character of Jesus part. I wanted to flip this dude over, right? Like, I'll show you $40. I'll show you $40, right? And so... <laughs> I said, you know, I kept it together. I didn't do that. I acted okay. But this is what I felt. And I says, man, that's all I have. And he goes, well, you might as well take this back. This ain't going to do nothing. And so I, I saw the scene in Goodfellas where Robert De Niro was like stuffing money down this guy's throat. And I was like, I just want to be Robert De Niro for 60 seconds. I'm, I'm in the middle of a church as I'm thinking all this, having a very spiritual morning. But I didn't, I didn't say anything to him, and I says, look, man, I said, I know that you're probably going through problems right now that that $20 can't really speak to. I said, but just hang on to it, man, because 20 is a long way from zero, and you might come across something that that can help you with. Just hang on to it, man. I'm sorry that's all I have. And he's like, whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, I am about to hang out with the minimalist tonight, and we're going to talk about love people, use things, and there's nothing that I would love more in this moment than to have some kind of thing, anything, 
that I could use to just whack this guy <laughs> upside the head, right? That's what I felt like. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I tell you, man, there, there's, a, there's a powerful gift given to me in that experience because, you know, one of the reasons why I think it's so important that we don't talk about minimalism as if it's merely the absence of stuff because it's possible to give away your stuff and still have a heart that's filled with self-righteousness and resentment and judgment. It's possible to have something valuable and say, okay, I'll give it up, but not be willing to give up the need to be thought of as a saint for what you gave up. Yes. Really quickly, there's a guy who went to go see a guru, and he says, Master, what must I do to be enlightened? And the guru said, meditate one hour a day for the next 10 years, you'll reach enlightenment. He says, okay, I'll do that. But my brother meditates an hour and a half. He says, so I want to be more holier than him. So I'm going to do two hours a day. How long will it take for me to be enlightened then? The master said, 20 years. And he says, wait a minute. If I'm meditating twice as much, shouldn't I get twice the results? And the guru said, twice as much ego, half the results. You know, (laughs) we can give up our things, but are we willing to give up our need to be praised for it? And are we willing to give up the thing that is hardest to give, which is the ego, for the sake of creating space for what truly matters? Man, that, you know, we had... uh we had Amy Stroop open up the show. Let's give her another round of applause. Yeah. Woo! You're reminding me of this lyric on her first album. It opens up with this beautiful... I mean, the whole... Uh, the, the album's called Tunnel. It's a masterpiece. It's from 2014. It's when Ryan and I were on the road for those 100 cities. And if it would have been on cassette, we would have worn the cassette out. We played it so much. Amy is absolutely one of our, our favorite musicians. But she has this line on the first song. And she says, Whatever gets heavy... Give it up now. And now the album is about letting go of a relationship because some relationships get so heavy and what do we do? We cling to them. Well, what does it mean to let go? Letting go isn't something you do. Letting go is something you stop doing. You stop clinging to the excess stuff. You stop clinging to the toxic relationships, the toxic jobs, the city that you used to live in that's no longer serving you, the idea of the relationship you wanted, we cling to these things. And to let go of them, we don't do anything. You don't have to do anything except stopping the clinging. And so I thought it was just, it's a, the whole album is about just sort of, it's a grieving process in a way. Grieving a relationship, or sometimes it's our relationship with our things that we have to grieve. It's our relationship with the people, with our parents, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers. Sometimes we have to grieve those relationships in a way. And the album is, is so beautiful because in a way it shows you how to do that without actually doing anything. It helps you understand in a way that Ryan and, and TK and I can get up here on stage and talk to you, but sometimes music illuminates a truth that you can't simply speak. Do we have any questions back there? All right, good night, ladies and gentlemen. Right. <laughs> it's been fun, Nashville. <laughs> I see one person. See, this is what happens. All right. It happens every time. Mm-hmm. One person breaks the seal. <laughs> All right. You guys even see out there? No, I, oh, yeah, over. they're over. Yeah, this way. Hello. So tonight, I'm hoping. We, there we go. Uh, tonight, I'm hoping we could talk. We could talk about whatever you want. We could talk about anxiety. We could talk about stuff. We could talk about minimalism. We could talk about 
education. Um, we, we can talk about really whatever you want. The theme of the night is healing, healing our relationships. And we have a lot of different relationships we could talk about. One of them is also our values, which we really touch on in the book as well. What's your name? My name's Tom. Hey, Tom. What's on your mind? Well, I'm an internet and technology addict, and I've recently joined an actual organization called Internet and Technology Addicts Anonymous. Wow. Because I was so attached to my phone, because I've been, and I know you had Cal Newport on, and he talked about digital minimalism. Um, how did you, how did you feel about, after you talked to him, some of his ideas, did they, did they, you had already been talking about a lot of that, and I just yeah. want to hear what we can do together to start to, to address, you know, this constant, constant. Yeah. It, it's, I'll tell you, let me just start with this. And this question is going to come up over and over and over, so this is not a judgment. We are, as a society, programmed to ask the question, what do I do to help my problem with doing? Right? The problem isn't, the, the problem, or the doing won't help anything. The doing is the problem. We're doing technology so much, right? In the book, uh, we talk about the, the chief evangelist from Google. You know what he calls the smartphone? The 79th organ. Talk about dystopia, right? We're calling our smartphone the 79th organ. Why is that? Because it never leaves our body. We were talking about augmented humans. We're already augmented. That glowing screen in our pockets, right? 50 years ago, it was totally acceptable. People could start lighting up cigarettes. and In fact, half of you would be smoking right now if it was 50 years ago, right? And it's totally, it was totally acceptable. And yet, if someone lit up a cigarette right now, you would look at them like they were insane. And yet, it's perfectly acceptable. We were um, in Atlanta this morning at the bus stop um, getting some coffee across the street. And Jordan, our filmmaker, where are you, Jordan? He's somewhere around here. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan no more. Hey! We love you, man. Oh, he's hiding back here. <laughs> he took this beautiful picture... Uh, I was standing there, and then... That's not why it was beautiful. Um, <laughs> and then he like, got out of, I got out of his way, and he took this picture of everyone at the bus stop. There was a congregation of maybe 20 people, but they were all alone inside that glowing screen. We're turning into these zombies staring at, at these devices. And the problem isn't necessarily the device itself. It's our relationship with distraction. It's our dis-ease with solitude, with boredom, with being alone. And yet, we can be totally alone. It's perfectly normal for four people to be at a table right here eating dinner. And all four of them are alone together because they are just staring at that screen. Scrolling is the new smoking. And, in fact, I would argue that it's much more dangerous than smoking. Why? Because it's encouraged. It's acceptable. At least we know what smoking does to us. We don't even, we haven't scratched the surface yet of what our technology and our distractions are doing to us. So when we talk about distractions, I think ultimately we have to talk about technology first because that's our biggest weapon of mass distraction. It's the thing that is, well... It's giving us these what I call food pellets from the universe, but they're empty calories. 
And so it's like, you can eat a piece of candy and it's fine, right? If your primary diet consists of gorging on sweets, you get really sick. And we're getting really sick mentally. I'm worried about my daughter. She's eight. The worst mistake I've ever made as a parent is to give her a device, a tablet. I wouldn't give her heroin, except I did. It's called an iPad. And I'm not proud of that, right? And I think she has a relatively decent relationship with that compared to her friends that I see. So she uses less heroin than her friends. Congratulations. And so it worries me because we're distracting ourselves to the point of not knowing what is meaningful anymore. We're so fixated on pleasure, and we mistake that pleasure and excitement for happiness, contentment, joy, tranquility, peace, whatever you want to call it. It's not the same thing. It's certainly not freedom. In fact, it's the opposite of, of freedom. We've built these digital prisons, and we carry them around with us. chime in. So I think in order to talk about distraction, we have to talk about creativity, because what is a distraction other than a preoccupation that alienates us from creativity, or rather the purpose for which we've been created? I think what separates human beings from inanimate objects, plant life, animals, is that we crave action, right? And more importantly, we crave purposeful action. We, we want to express ourselves creatively in a way that that, that expresses our individualized preferences and priorities and taste and so on. I once heard someone say that if an advanced extraterrestrial intelligence were to descend upon the earth coming from far away, they wouldn't be impressed with our science and our math because they would be much more advanced than us. They wouldn't be impressed by our technology because theirs would be so much better than ours. But when they go into our concert halls or our theaters or when they look at the way that we compose songs as a response to being in love, when they go to the comedy clubs and they see our art, they'll say, ah, oh, that's interesting. I want to understand that more because it's our creativity that makes us human. It's our creativity that makes us irreplaceably human. And when we are creative, we are most fully alive. We are who we are meant to be. And a distraction is something that pulls us away from that. And I think what's important to understand about distraction is that this didn't begin with cell phones. Human beings have been remarkably brilliant since the beginning of time at forgetting the reasons for why they were born. Human beings have been really good at finding something else to do besides that which we were born to do. It is not the case that before the existence of the television, everyone was sitting around learning five languages, building businesses, and being productive. You can be sure that we were finding other ways to waste our time, but what technology does is it exposes us in a way that maybe more primitive forms of technology couldn't do. It's sort of like if I give a child a dollar, that's not a lot of money, so they can't do too much damage. But if I give them a million dollars, well, they can hurt a lot of people with a lot of that money. But the million dollars didn't create the problem. The million dollars provided the occasion for an already existing problem to be expressed. Namely, I don't understand the purpose of money. I don't know what this tool is for. And when you don't know the purpose of a tool, abuse of the tool is inevitable. And so I think when we deal with these plights and pandemics of distraction, it's an invitation for us to step back from our tools and ask ourselves, well, what are we here for? 
It's the whole Simon Sinek thing. Start with why. What are we here for? Because it's not about, we're not going to find a solution by getting rid of the tool. We have to reconnect with what gives that tool meaning, and it is us. No tool offers itself up to us saying, here's the solution to your problem. It's us bringing our creativity to it and making that tool useful that creates wealth in the world. Man, you mentioned uh, Cal Newport, and I envy him in a lot of ways because he has like given up social media. He quit email. Can you imagine quitting email? Yes. Yeah. He actually wrote a great book called A World Without Email. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 he's, he's brilliant. And, you know, I tried to quit Twitter about two years ago. I deleted my Twitter account. And I get a text from Josh like a couple hours later. He's like, did you want to follow me on Twitter? Like, what, <laughs> what's going on? And I'm like, no, man, I just, you know what? I like went ahead because I got rid of Facebook, my personal Facebook. I'm like, you know what? I'm getting rid of Twitter. And he was like, that would be fine. He's like, except I just sent all these numbers to our publisher and your personal numbers were included in there. He's like, so we've got to like start it back up. I'm like, okay, like I get it. Like it's, it's important to have a tool to communicate. And this is part of the communication tool that we need to, to get some of our message out there. So Instead of like you know feeling defeated or anything, I just started to use it differently, and and I think you know we can sit here and give you a million how tos on how to do this, but the how to isn't as isn't as important as the why to, and the way you get to the why to is with a few observations. So I have a few observations. Um, we as human beings love dopamine. Oh, we love it. It's so good. The little dopamine hits. And although, you know, social media doesn't give us as much dopamine as, as, as heroin does, it does have the same reaction. When they do brain scans, it actually lights up the same areas of the brain. Now, the thing is, is, you know, the, the social media gurus, they understand this, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to aggregate your eyeballs. When you're using something for free, you are the product. You are, is, are, uh, you are the product being sold, essentially. So... When we, again, when we see these observations, sometimes it helps us uh, just react a little bit differently and make some, some different uh, decisions. So understanding like how you are literally trying to be pulled away every time you look at your phone, I mean, for me, that helps me use it a little bit less. And you can probably go to my Twitter, you can actually see how many tweets people have tweeted. And it's gone down significantly because I've started to realize what what they're actually trying to do with my time, with my attention, which are really our most two, two important resources, right? I mean, money is a, is a very important resource, and that's kind of the one resource that we always focus on, but we don't really, really, we don't really ask about what are we doing with our time, what are we doing with our, our attention. Those are much more valuable than, than the money that we spend. And I guess the only thing I'll say, too, about the, the dopamine is the problem with chasing dopamine, if I could give you a pill to give you, you know, this dopamine hit that you take every morning and then at lunch and dinner. Well, by the way, there are these pills that do that, right? <laughs> what happens is your normal, let's say your normal, this is a, an x-axis, this is a y-axis, this is your normal day, and then you take dopamine and like you get this spike. And then if you take it again, you can stay at that level and you can continue to spike that dopamine. But what happens is it ends up, it becomes your new normal. So the more you use social media, the more you look for the likes, the more uh, you look for the shares, the more you look for the next TikTok video. I get trapped in it too. I mean, I'm, I'm not perfect. 
But I also realize that like it will never be enough. And you know, once I've wasted 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it is, I have to catch myself and I have to put that down. But not until you realize what, what it's doing to you and what really, what more you could do with that time and attention. Um, it's a very difficult thing to just, to just set it down. But sometimes you just got to set it down. Like my wife and I, we, which Mariah, she's here some. I think she might be backstage watching. Oh, thank you very much. She would appreciate that, that, that clap. Um, so, so, yeah, what we've done, and we, we're not perfect with it, but we have uh, been, been starting to, like, leave our phones in the car, like, when we go for a meal. Uh, Josh, actually, is the one who taught me that. We, we, I don't know, a few months ago, we were on tour. We started this tour, and we were, he was like, oh, I forgot my phone. I'm just leaving. I'm like, I'm going to leave my phone, too. And I'm like, my wife and I should do that. I don't know why we don't do that. So coming up with these little habits, these little rituals can also help us, you know, break away from those, those bad habits sometimes. Ryan, one thing to, to echo what you're saying there, one thing that has helped me more than anything is uh, what Cal Newport calls the foyer rule. Or if you have a big enough house, it's a foyer rule. <laughs> um, but I don't have either. So I have a junk drawer right when you walk into the house. Um, there's like two things in it. Um, and one of them is my phone. And it's, that's where I keep my phone throughout the day. Now, not only is that a metaphor, because that's where the junk goes, but anytime I need to use the phone, I have to actively get up, go to that location. I've created some additional friction. Because as Ryan say, otherwise, if I don't have that friction, everyone wants my attention, my time. So here's something pithy for you. I know it's not the lightning round yet, but there's no refund for misspent attention. Howdy, what's your name? Hey, it's Wes. Hey, Wes, what's on your mind? So I've heard it put by Rich Roll, we are either growing or regressing. As a minimalist, when you are working to meet your personal goals, spiritual, physical, financial, how do you continue to have peace and be content in the present moment while working on your future goals? Okay, I heard a lot of words here. (laughs) And I'm going to talk about them individually. TK, maybe you, you can help. We can go do a back and forth between the three of us here. So the first word, I heard Rich Roll is a really good friend of ours. Um, he's been on our podcast the second most times next to TK Coleman. And um, are you either growing or regressing? I don't like the framing of that at all. Um, maybe in context, it makes a whole lot more sense. But there are two types of growth, right? We talk about this in the book as well. So there is growth for the sake of growth, never-ending GDP. We need to grow, expand more, more, more at any cost, right? Okay. That sounds like cancer to me. That's what cancer does. It grows no matter what. So we think of growth as it being good. Growth isn't inherently good or bad. The question is, is it growth for the sake of growth? If so, why? Or is it intentional growth? Is there a reason that I want to grow? And I also heard something about goals and how-to, and so we can talk about some of these other things here as well. Yeah, man. Uh, so I, I, think about, I think about this verse in the Bible that says, uh, it's better to give than to receive. And I remember thinking the first time I heard that, like, that's totally not true. It's so better to receive than to give. We all know that, you know. But I, I think what it means is that to receive is to be in a, a consciousness of lack, to receive is to say, I need, I need, and you're identified with a state of need. It's, it's impossible to give without thinking of yourself as someone who has something to offer. And so I think the meaning there is it is always better 
to carry yourself with a consciousness of abundance, seeing yourself as having something to offer anyone and everyone that you meet, no matter what the circumstances and conditions of your life are, than to see yourself as someone who is constantly at the mercy of what other people do for you. What does it have to do with growth? I think there are two models for growth. One is you can grow from a state of lack. I'm trying to grow because I'm not worth anything. I'm trying to grow because I'm not good enough. I'm trying to go grow because until I get that level of income or until I acquire those things or until I achieve that level of status, I won't be a player in the game. I won't be worth anything. Or you can grow from a state of abundance and say, I am already all that I need to be and I am seeking to grow not in order to become that which I am not, but in order to manifest what I already am. So my growth is not an intaking, my growth is an outpouring. And I think that kind of growth is healthy. So are you growing from a state of trying to achieve worthiness or are you growing from a state of self-acceptance where you are seeking to generally, gener, general, general, generous, generously, how do you say it? Generous, generously Channel edit that out, share who you are with other people? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I'll highlight what Milburn has said about, you know, minimalism it's not about the doing minimalism. It's about the not doing. So, you know, I don't have advice on how do you do minimalism, but also work towards your goals and achievements. And that sounds really stressful to me, actually. I'm not going to lie. But, um, but I, and that's not a judgment. It just, it just, it just is. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the whole point is, is to stop the doing. If, if I was to tell someone, if I was to tell you, TK, be in the moment. Be in the moment right now. Hurry. <laughs> no, you're not being in the moment. I'm everywhere but the moment. <laughs> oh, the moment's already gone. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. You are everywhere but the moment when you're trying to be in the moment. And, and I think, you know, when it comes to, yeah, achievements and success, and, you know, success is something I chase so much in my mid-20s. And, you know, maybe I would get a little bit of it, but as soon as you get some of it, you want more, especially if you are chasing success. So for me, you know, I, I had to redefine really what success was in a way. I don't really call it success. It's really just, it's living a meaningful life. It's, it's being a genuine person. It's being myself. I mean, what, when you look in the mirror, what, what do you think? So, so do you have goals and achievements for yourself? Oh, no. Man. Yeah. No? No. No. no I, I haven't had goals in 10 years. Um, wait, 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 what do you mean? But you don't want to sell like a certain amount of books and you no. want to do a certain amount of tours? No. But our, our whole, that's a great question though. I, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah our, No, it's, it's, it's a very good question because you would think there would be some type of metric or like how many followers or how many right. downloads. These things are great. And like, I don't look at them too much because I'm, I'm a numbers guy. And I actually, obviously from my talk, you could tell I'm a numbers guy. <laughs> um, and I love the numbers. So if, if I was to look at those on a regular basis, I would start to fixate on them. Yeah. So I avoid that because I know that's one of my weaknesses. But our whole philosophy really is low expectations, high standards. Low expectations, high standards. So what that means, like with this book, for example, is like we really wanted to write a book, uh, a, a relationship book, not just about people, but about these important relationships in our lives. And we really wanted to show how having a healthy relationship with these, uh, with these seven things in our lives, how that can really help us live a meaningful life. People ask us all the time, hey man, you know, I get it. You had success, you had the money, you had the cars, whatever it was. You know, I get it, it doesn't make, doesn't, uh, make you happy. 
but I just want to try it out for myself. And I don't know why I still want to try it out for myself, but I just want to try it out for myself. It reminds me of my favorite philosopher, Jim Carrey. (laughs) What does he say? I wish everyone could be rich and famous so they could see that that's not the answer. And when someone would ask me that, how do I get rid of that desire? I I didn't really know how to answer that. There's not a, a lightning round or a pithy answer that I could say, like, well, here's how you stop those desires. But through this book... Like, that is where I saw an opportunity. I'm like, oh, like when we can focus on these things, which take no money, by the way, all these things we can focus on with time and attention, that is when those desires will start to fade away a little bit. So that, you can see, like, why we wrote this book. So that was our, that was our, our, our goal, if you want to call it a goal. I'm happy to call it a goal. Um, we, we, we did that with our best ability in the best way we could, with the best words we could, we, we formatted it. We made it as beautiful as we could. Our standard was super high with this book. But our expectation was so low. If it was just one person who read it and was like, I really enjoyed that book, that, I mean, that would have been worth it. Heck, if, if I would have read it and been like, oh, this is a good book, that would have been worth it. <laughs> but to sit here and be like, oh, we got to be on, you know, we... I don't even want to mention this because it sounds like kind of braggadocious, but we did make the New York Times bestseller list, okay? But well, you know what that no, means? stop. It's ridiculous. <laughs> People buy, they spend thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to be on that list. They game the system. We didn't, but like, it doesn't matter. It's not important. I was going to talk about Josh's reaction and you're seeing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, I mean, here's, here's the problem. No, I, to my, the honest answer to, to your question, and I'm not prescribing this to you. I'm not saying don't have goals. I'm not saying that they're useless for you. I'm saying they're a problem for me. And, and here's why they're a problem. I was the goal guy in the corporate world. And I had spreadsheets of goals. Here are the 24 goals and sub-goals to the goals. And they stressed me out. They made me miserable because I could figure out how to achieve those goals. But the how-to is the thing that keeps me stressed out. Why? Because I was so focused on becoming, I, was, I had no idea what it meant to be. I was becoming the person I thought I wanted to become But throughout that process, there was very little being me. And as soon as you become that thing, you get the promotion that you want or the car that you want or the so-called success that you want. We did this exercise last night in Atlanta. I I said to the crowd, describe a wealthy person, anytime I, or a successful person rather, anytime I do this, it's always the same answers. If I show you a magazine ad with a successful person, what's it look like? It's a guy usually in a suit with a luxury car and a yacht and a roll. It's always a watch of some sort, right? <laughs> they always look the same and there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. We all need some stuff. And by the way, it's not that Lexus is a bad thing. I'm sure they make wonderful cars. I used to own two of them because I felt inadequate. And so we do a lot of things. Why? Because we feel inadequate. And we want other people's approval or praise or adulation or validation in order to say, you know what? I am adequate. But that's a chase. All these things we're talking about, we can use fancy, nice words, goals, like, oh, that's a good thing. Let's call it what it is. It's a chase. It's striving. It's an attachment to an outcome. And those are the things that make me miserable. Yeah. I, I want to... So oh, less, ahead, about, ahead, less about achievements and goals and more about living a meaningful life. For sure, man. Living. Like right now, living. Like I'm so grateful to be here. 
And whether there was, you know, a thousand people or three people here, I'm, we've done tour stops literally where two people showed up. <laughs> Knoxville, 10 years oh, ago. I miss those days. Two people showed did up. Did you still do it? Those Hell days. yeah, we did. <laughs> and it was one of the best tour stops we've yeah, ever had. Great. Why? Yeah. High standard, low expectation. Hey, I just want to tell you, man, like, you are a beautiful human being, man. And, like, no matter what your goals are, that's cool, man. But you don't need those goals to be a beautiful human being. Because I'll tell you that when I was in the corporate world, world chasing the success, I, and what really got me started on the road of minimalism is I couldn't look in the mirror anymore. Having all that success, having the cars and the house and the vacations and the raises and the, the management and the, the employees and my employees' employees, like, that didn't help me see any better of a person in the mirror. And so there's nothing wrong with these accolades. There's nothing wrong with these, you know, it doesn't bother me we made it on the New York Times bestseller list. I think it's pretty freaking cool, but that's not why we did it. But when that becomes the why, when all those things become the why, it's really hard to look in the mirror. Thank you, guys, and thanks for being in Nashville. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. I just want to say something to him about this goals and ambition thing. Is I think the, an important question to always be asking yourself is, what, what game am I playing? Am I playing a game that expresses my aliveness, a game that I've created for myself? Or am I playing a game that someone else created for me and I'm hustling really hard to try to win prizes that I don't really care about? Uh, th there's a book by James P. Cars called Finite and Infinite Games, and there's a line in there that's so beautiful where he says, the first rule of play is that he who must play cannot play. If you are compelled to play from some externally directed force, then it's not play. It's not a game. And it feels, it feels stressful. It feels compulsive. It feels unhealthy. And you resent it. And so many people, their goals are unhealthy because they're playing games that other people want them to play, which means they're not experiencing these games as play. But as human beings, it's our nature to play. The moment our needs are met, the first thing we do is we find a game to play. We create goals that are unimportant but that are still worth doing because the essence of play is not to do something because it's important in some external sense, but because it expresses our joy. And so whatever you do in life, like it's okay to say, here's something that I haven't done and I want to do it. Here's a place that I haven't gone and I want to go. But go and do and create and be and seek after things for the purpose of playfully expressing who you are, not for the purpose of pleasing somebody that when it really comes down to it, you don't, you don't even care about and they don't even you know, represent your own priorities and principles. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer, well, we usually answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments too. Well, you've got the number right there in your bookmark, 937-202-4654. But since we have people here lined up in Nashville, we won't make you pull out your phones. You can just step up to the mic and ask your question. Now, you all probably know, and TK certainly knows, he's done this enough times, but we, during this lightning round, what we do is we answer your questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response, and Podcast Sean makes them really beautiful. We call them Minimal Maxims, which you can find at minimalmaxims.com, by the way. There's, I just edited a bunch of them. There's over 500 of them now, Ryan. 500. You are so witty. You minimalist. <laughs> But here's what we really do. We maunder on a bit, and eventually we'll come up with something pithy for you. Howdy, what's your name? Hi, my name's Richard. And hey, Richard. I just want to say uh, I sat down with a group of strangers, and we were all trying to hypothetically think of who the third guest would be. People were saying maybe it's Dave Ramsey, maybe it was so-and-so. And I was like, 
It'd be really great if it was T.K. Coleman. Amen. It brings me a lot of joy because not only has TK talked about Simon Sinek, you brought up uh, Finite and Infinite Games, and those have just really connected with me. So it's like, this feels really special. Uh, So thank you again. Um, Thank you. What's on your mind? Thanks for being here, man. So, okay, my question has to do with uh, what people use things. In the book, Joshua, you talked about the five main values. Uh, your health, relationships, creativity, growth, and contributions, right? In that order? Yeah. Okay. So my issue has to do with the fact that, you know, I prioritize my own health, right? And next most is relationships. But what happens when those relationships, they struggle with their health, but they need help from the outside, and the healthcare system has failed them? So they might turn to someone like me who has been able to kind of figure out things outside of the healthcare system or help guide them through the healthcare system. How do I find a balance? You know, as my, I, I see a therapist, I think everyone should, to be perfectly honest. And how do I find a balance? Yeah, that's what I'm saying too. How do I find a balance in which I can fulfill the values that I, I personally also agree with in that order, that does not impede on the other values below that for me. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is you might have some sort of contradicting values. Yes. These people that you're helping, they're coming to you for help. Is that right? Family members, close friends. They're coming to you for yes. help though, right? For health. health. Yes. Right. But, mm-hmm. but I just want to be clear. Are you going to them to try to help them or are they coming to you for help? A mix of both. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. It's, it's so here, a, here's the problem. Here, here's the, 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 the number one thing that I dislike about, about these tour stops is I have to be on a stage. <laughs> um, and that puts me literally on a pedestal, right? And what do I have to do now? I have to look down on people. But that's not what I want to do at all. But when we try to help someone who didn't ask for help, there are other words for that. My wife has this great shirt. It says, um, coercion is not consent. Yeah, and now we know what that means in terms of, like, sex, right? But we use fluffier words now to describe coercion, right? I'm helping. Oh, I'm just, just uh, trying to convince this person. Well, to convince someone is to unlove them. And so if someone comes to you for help and you have the tools to help them, that's so loving because you're seeing them for who they are. You're not trying to change them. But you're seeing they're going through a transformation. They want some sort of change in their own life. However, when we try to change someone, that's the definition of hating them. If you go to someone and you want them to change, that means you hate who they are. What if they hate who they are? It's not up to you to decide. But what if they tell you that? Then they've come to you for help. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's something different. Quite often what happens is, you know what? I finally figured it out. I know the answers, and what I want to do is convince you that I have the answers. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. We are shooting all over ourselves. And the problem with doing this is it seems virtuous. It seems noble. It almost seems loving, but it is the opposite of loving. We don't understand love. To love someone 
is to accept them, to see them for who they are without trying to change them. Here's the beautiful thing about that, though. If you can do that, if you can meet them where they are, you can see them without trying to convince them, persuade them, coerce them, a transformation often happens. When you just understand, you listen, quite often through that, a change emerges. Yeah, so it sounds like you feel like you're obligated to help a lot of times. Is- I mean, I would say it's more so because I have the capacity to, mm-hmm. and that is missing elsewhere. Let's say yeah. the healthcare system has failed them, mm-hmm. they don't understand the healthcare system, mm-hmm. and as we all agree, I think it's the most important value is all of us yeah. should put our health first. Yeah. So when they don't know how or aren't capable of doing that and the systems in place have failed them, but I have the capabilities of understanding how to you know, use the insurance system, how to help mm. them in those ways, what kind of happens when that, that pull from the outside, it, it's not mm-hmm. me trying to change people, it's me basically pulling from me, what should I do, help me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I, I do. Like it's, well, I don't know. It makes me think about how like I'm a pretty empathic person. Like I really do, you know, pick up on people's, you know, angsts and pains and... Um, the heart. Yeah, right. I have a heart, yeah. But, you know, empathy is one hell of a drug. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it serves me and sometimes it doesn't serve me. And with something like empathy and with something like um, having the ability to help, you just you really have to be careful because we know the, the, the example gets brought up all the time about the, the oxygen mask in the airplane. You got to put yours on first before you help someone else. That's a cliche example for a reason because if you're helping someone at the cost of your health, then you actually are making it, you're making it harder for you to help that person. We'll clean that up in post for the pithy answer. <laughs> but, 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 but really, I mean, if, if eventually, I mean, if your tank is getting diminished a little bit each time you help and you're not refilling that, then eventually you're not going to be able to help out at all. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you can't save the world, man. And I know that when I first started this, I remember like driving, down 75 from Dayton to Cincinnati and I'm like be stuck in traffic yeah <laughs> give it up for 75 yeah <laughs> dude you know it's funny people give LA like a bunch of crap for, for its traffic all it is it's 75 but it's like six lanes of it <laughs> instead of three lanes of it we got stuck in Chattanooga today oh my goodness <laughs> who doesn't <laughs> but but, you know, I, I, re, I remember, I just remember driving, being stuck in traffic on my way to the, to, to, the, um, to, to the company I worked for. And I'm just like, man, I'm praying, like, please, like, just please help me to, you know, find a way to where I can, like, help others, help as many people as possible. And, you know, I would just, like, that's where my mind always was. My mind's always been there. In fact, that's what I loved about my old job is I got to help employ, like, my favorite, one of my favorite stories is there's an uh, employee I had. We were ready to fire him. I sat him down. I'm like, dude, we're going to fire you, like, if you don't change. And he was employee of the month, like, three months later. And, like, being able to, like, do that, like, really did something for me, which that really seems selfless, but it's kind of selfish because I got so much out of it. But, um... 
but what I'm getting at is, 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 is that's where I used to be. I just want to help people. And now I'm at a point where I just want to help myself. And then I want to show people how I helped myself so they can do it for themselves. Lead by example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I would say never confuse being accessible with being available. Being accessible is people are able to get a hold of you. They're able to have access to your time. Being available is about being in a position where you can show up strong for people. And sometimes in our efforts to be accessible to the people that we love, we're giving 2%, 8%, 12%, and we're really not showing up strong. We're really not giving people our best selves. And so I would encourage you to hang on to that part of you that says, I want to be there for the people that I love, but I would just encourage you to really be there by establishing the kind of boundaries that allow you to ground yourself in the practices that will make you the sort of person who, when you do show up, people will say, wow, he gave me a little bit of time, but I felt a whole lot of impact. It's not about how many hours you give. It's about how you show up when you give them the time that you do offer them. So don't confuse accessibility with availability. That's what I say. I love you, brother. And I hope that uh, you check out, we, we did a whole episode about this called The Advice Epidemic, because I, I know your heart is in a good place. And um, I think you'll be much better served if you understand, if you truly understand, like, you, you, I know you already get it, into, get it intellectually, but when you feel in your heart, in your viscera, when you have an understanding of... Um, of what it means to love someone, especially someone who's going through some of these tremendous, you see suffering and you see the pain that they're going through and you want to alleviate that. And sometimes you'll be able to if they come to you for it. Sometimes they might just need you to listen. Yeah. And that, that might be the best way to alleviate it. Yeah. Thank you for your question, brother. Yeah, thank Thanks, you guys. Man. I appreciate it. Yeah. For sure. All right, y'all, we have a decision to make right now. It is 9 o'clock, and we're supposed to leave at 9, but I see a line of people. Would you all like to stay a little bit longer? All right. All right. If not, you can get the hell out of here, but <laughs> the rest of you are welcome to stay. Howdy, what's your name? Hey, my name's Jenny. I'm from Indianapolis. Oh, hey, Jenny. Did you make the drive down? Dad. Um, <laughs> my husband and I had quite the traffic coming on down, but it was okay. It's mm. totally worth it, so it's good oh. to see you guys. Thanks for making the, the trip. Yes, absolutely. Um, so a couple of years ago, you interviewed Paul Jarvis, who wrote Company of One. That's right. Um, and actually, I implemented a lot of the practices between that conversation and um, his book into my own sixth grade classroom. So wow. thank you very much for that. But um, touching on that, recently the two of you have added a couple fun people to your podcast, um, your interns. So... Um, how have you maintained your minimalist values within your business practices since expanding your team? Um, because in the past, you've expanded upon primary, secondary, tertiary relationships. Um, has the growth of the team led to any complexities in the relationships you have with the members of your team? Yeah, so we have a, a really diverse team in terms of backgrounds and thinking and and. What I really like about the team, the way that we grew, it was out of necessity. It, was like, it wasn't like, oh, we need, we need to grow, so let's hire some people. It was about, hey, we've got this thing that we're trying to create. We're helping people heal their relationship with stuff. And we think that the work that we're doing can be augmented by some other outstanding people, right? And so we just brought on three new people recently. We've got eight people on our 
core team. We've got about 20 people total when you count our web designer and, and our, um, our web developer, et cetera. But like, we have uh, just a, a bunch of people on the team. It's, you know, Ryan and I are the minimalists, but really it's all of us. TK is like the 30th member of the team. By the way, thanks for not looking at me when you said we have a diverse team. I got so nervous. You're like, diverse team with all kinds of people. Thank you for not looking at me. I really appreciate that. It had so much. It had nothing to do with melanin. Um, that's funny. I, I seriously didn't even think about the uh, the melanin aspect of diversity when I when I said that. Um, we we have a team of of just we have a really great team of amazing people who um, who help us heal relationships. And so when, when I looked at expanding the team, Ryan and I sat down and we said, hey, is, is this going to help us or is it going to hurt us, right? And because the last thing I want to do is grow for the sake of growing, but also realizing that if this, we start going in this direction and it ends up not being the right direction, Ryan and I have developed that superpower of letting go. And one of the rules that we have in, in the book, actually, is the walk away rule, the willingness to walk away. And we're willing to walk away from anything, even coworkers, friends, relationships, careers, whatever it is, obviously stuff. Because that willingness to walk away means that anything that we do, we're showing up intentionally. Oh, is it, you want me to go? <laughs> I, mean, I haven't hired anybody, man. Like, this is for you guys. Yeah. Wait, no. hold on. No, no, no. TK is responsible for getting so many people placement and jobs through Praxis. We got to talk about that. But she was asking about... She's talking about intentionality here. She's okay. talking about intentionality okay. with hiring. Okay. Yeah. So what would you like to know? <laughs> well, I feel like the guy at church. How can I help you, brother? Like, what's, what's up? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Like, uh, you know, when, when you hire more people, of course, it's going to add a level of complexity, right? I mean, by definition, you're making it more complex because you're adding more people. Um, I mean, going back to what Josh was saying, if you're growing for the sake of growing, and he said it earlier, uh, then that usually will end up being some type of cancer. But if you have a reason for that growth, um, I think you can totally grow in a healthy way. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we have... Every person we have on the team has a very deliberate, a uh, very deliberate role that they play on the team, and without them, we could not do what we're doing today. So, um, I mean, that's how we maintain uh, the minimalism with our business. Is it's it, it is a very deliberate growth. Um, I'll tell you one other thing, Ryan is, and you and I talked about this. We were heaping too much work on Deshaun and Jordan in particular, and, and it got to a point where it was like they went on strike. <laughs> <laughs> Started picketing. I wondered about that. <laughs> they formed a union of two. Um, and, and, and with Jessica as well. Jessica runs with social media. So we brought Mallory and Emma and, and Danny on recently just because, hey, how do we help alleviate them? It's going to cost us more money. And we've got to find ways to pay for that for sure. But it also helps with the contentment of the people on the team. And I, I thought that was important because, TK, as you can talk about, it's not always about just pay it also has a whole lot to do with the work environment and the work that you're creating. Absolutely. You, you know, um, I, I just read the story of a guy who, he was a successful businessman. He read a story about St. Francis and became completely obsessed with the idea of vows of poverty and a life of simplicity as a path to holiness. So he goes home, he gets on his knees, and he says, God, 
I want to be like St. Francis. I'm willing to give up everything for you. And God says, I just want you to keep your job. I just want you to keep showing up to your job. And sometimes that kind of message can be so disappointing because it's not the outward form of minimalism or simplicity that we have sort of deified. But less isn't always more. If you are doing less merely for the purpose of saying you're a good minimalist, that's not minimalism. That's legalism. Minimalism is about adding layers of meaning by letting go of the things that are holding you back, not letting go of things merely for the sake of letting go of things. So sometimes the things that hold us back is the fact that we're not asking for help, that we're not giving the people on our team enough opportunity or enough assistance. And so sometimes the best way to be a good minimalist is to make some money or to hire another person, add somebody else on your team, get some help. It's not always about taking away. It's about giving what is best, whether that involves more or less. I didn't even mean to make that rhyme. Sorry. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Right on. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for making the trip. Have a safe trip back. Howdy. We can't let any more in the line. I can't even promise we'll get to everyone in this line either, but we'll do our best. Howdy. I'll be super quick. What's your name? What's your question? I'm Sophia. I'm Howdy. from Nashville. Um, I'm just here to ask a personal question about you guys. Sure. So Briefs. My big, my big question is... <laughs> I'm sorry, ask your no, question. you're so fine. I was really trying to decide if I needed to roast Josh before I got started, but then I was like, no. It's fine, you can. Yeah. Why do you always touch your forehead? <laughs> There's a lot to touch. <laughs> if he doesn't, it'll fall off. He has to like keep it on there. I was, okay. I was like, is your sideburn coming off? or? You know, every time I, it's funny, I notice the same thing. Every time he does that, it's just, it's when he's like, I, it's, he's in the freaking zone. No, I, th- I, think I, I think it's what I'm thinking, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. But no, my big question is, what's a mistake that you guys can't seem to learn within yourselves? Mm. Wait, say it again? A mistake that you can't seem to learn within yourself. I mean, like, do we make the same mistakes over and over again? Maybe it would be another way to ask that question. Of, of course, like I'm. A big screw up. I just, you know, <laughs> the key is, is I screw up way less today than when I used to. And minimalism is not about perfection. It, in fact, it's not even a destination. It's not like, okay, when you stop screwing up, you can finally call yourself a minimalist. I mean, I, you know, I think the day I decided to be a minimalist, like, I didn't even know, I didn't even know really where to start. And that's why Josh and I came up with the idea of the packing party. Um, but, you know, I struggle with technology. Like, I mean, my, uh, yeah, my, my wife will tell you, like, she, well, she'll, well, she'll tell me. She'll be like, dude, like, you know, you've been on your phone a little bit too much lately. I'm like, shit, you're right. Like, I've got to do something about that. Um, so, you know, being a minimalist, it doesn't stop me from, I wish I could say, like, you know what, go buy that book and all the rest of our books and watch our documentaries and listen to all our podcasts and you will never want to look at your phone again. You will never want to buy anything again and you will just like walk around floating and I mean, that's such nonsense. Um, the, the truth is, is that what, what we try and do is show where we screw up and how we deal with those screw ups. So, um, so yeah, there's plenty of, I could go on and on with all my mistakes, but I won't embarrass myself anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm a loser, and so I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. Uh, when, we bu- when we hired those uh, new employees recently, we, uh, we sat down and said, here are some boundaries that we have, and one of them is we strongly welcome and encourage mistakes. 
We strongly discourage repeated mistakes. And that's the only way we learn because we encourage them to go outside the bounds and and mess this up and play around with that. But if we keep screwing up the same thing over and over and over, then we're not learning. We're regressing in a way. And so, no, I don't make the same mistake over and over and over. I set that boundary and I encourage myself to make some mistakes. Now, let's not confuse mistakes with bad decisions. We, we also make poor decisions, and we often call them mistakes. Politician gets caught cheating on his wife. Oh, I just made a mistake. Oh, I slipped and fell and just went in. No. It happens all the time. It's not a mistake. In fact, it's a bunch of repeated poor decisions. It doesn't start with that final indiscretion that we call cheating, right? I write about this in the book. Ryan and I have both been unfaithful to people in the past, and, and we wrote about this. And so uh, writing about that infidelity, but also learning from that. Now, there are a couple things you can do. You can redefine the relationship, right, and so that you make cheating something different, or you can say, well, I'm not the type of person who wants to do that anymore, right? And so you get to decide what is a mistake versus, well, and, and then correct those mistakes. But then you also get to understand sometimes we just make poor decisions. And that's something different. When we call it a mistake, it sort of gives us a pass. Oh, I just kind of screwed up. No, no, no. I intentionally made that decision. If you cheat on a test, that's a poor decision. If you get the wrong answer, that's a mistake. If you keep getting the same wrong answer over and over and over, well, then I guess that's a stupid mistake. Oh, that's a pithy answer. I still make mistakes. I just don't make stupid mistakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, um, dealing with trolls online, I never learn. I, I, I have such a hard time just recognizing it, right? Like, I, I, I have a difficult time distinguishing when somebody's, like, screwing with me and when they're asking a sincere question. You know, I can quote, like, okay, Albert Einstein says, imagination is more important than knowledge. Hey, TK, if I imagine Holly Berry's my wife, is that going to work? Is that going to come true magically? I'm like, well, not really, man. Not really, like, the, what he's trying to say is, ah, oh, man, like, 20 minutes later, it's like, dude, you're wasting my time. You were messing with me. And I have wasted a lot of time trying to answer questions or explain things in different ways to people who truly were not sincere. They truly were just screwing with me, and I couldn't get it. And my friends could. They're like, dude, stop wasting your time. And that's really hard for me to learn. Yeah, so that's a mistake. I keep making. Here's something pithy from that. You don't have to answer an unserious person sincerely. Yeah, but you got to recognize that. Yeah, you don't have to do it. There are no have tos, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> you get to. Thanks for your question. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Howdy. What's your name? Hello, I'm Tina. Hey, hey. Tina. On, I need, I'm What's on your mind? Um, so I was just talking to Sophia about um, how I basically love selling things. Like I literally got rid of my bed frame and I sleep on the ground. I feel super grounded. But when? What's the healthy balance between being? I guess, obsessed with getting rid of stuff and then also just the fine line of, um, I guess, not keep going back into that cycle, if that makes sense. So you talked about obsession, and we often treat obsession as though it's a bad thing, but I, I would tell you that nothing has served me more than obsession in my life. And so obsession isn't inherently a bad thing. It's not good either, right? 
The question is, what are you obsessed about? When we're really obsessed about things that we perceive to be good, we call it compelling, right? And so if you've put something in front of you that is compelling to you, then wow, how wonderful, what a gift to be obsessed by that thing. Now, if you're putting something in front of you that is taking away your time, it's making you anxious, and you're obsessing about that, oh, what a curse. I mean, I, I, oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm messing. With, I'm messing with you, man. Oh, um, I really was messing with you, but I'll go. Uh, no, you know, you could be miserable with stuff. You could be miserable without stuff. I mean, the problem is we have this like, I and I don't know. Some of you might disagree with me, but like, there's this void that like I've just I've always had, always. And uh, when I was a kid, my dad told me it was well, you know. As long as you be a good Jehovah's Witness, you know, that, that's the void that you're feeling and you need to fill that. And then, you know, I kind of uh, woke up from, from a lot of that. And that could be a whole other podcast, but I won't go into it. Um, so then I was like, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what I want. I want to fill the void with, with, with stuff. And that's what people will do. They fill the void with stuff. And then sometimes people will go the exact opposite. And then they get rid of everything expecting that to fill fill the void, but then they still experience the void, and now they're lost because they're like, man, I had everything. I get rid of everything, but I still have this void. So what I have been trying to do personally is I've been trying to um, be friends with the void and and, and welcome it. And I think instead of trying to fill the void, uh, filling the void isn't as powerful as being friends with it. That's my pithy answer. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah I, I would just say it's, it's, it's not a matter of math. It's a matter of meaning. It's not a question of, like, how many things do I have? It's a question of, you know, is it holding me back? Is it propelling me forward? Uh, for me, my formula is this. You, you know you have too many things, not when you've, uh, not merely when you've run out of room for keeping them, but when you've run out of reasons for using them. Mm. And um, if it's something that you're just tripping over, getting away, you want to move to a new city and it makes moving difficult and makes you question what you want to do in life, then you might have too many things. On the other hand, if it actually brings you joy and you use it and it plays a purposeful role in your life, give yourself permission to enjoy it and make the thing that you let go be the story of being someone who needs to let it go. Yeah. Man, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Hey. Thanks for letting me go before you. <laughs> Howdy, what's your name? I'm Caitlin from Owensboro. Hey, Caitlin. Um, my husband and I are adding to our family. We're expecting a child. Aww, and so, congratulations. <laughs> um, and so in like the documentaries and in the books, there's a lot of talk about you already have children and you're getting rid of their stuff, that they're the 12 items that they do play with, you're keeping. You're getting rid of the 200 and something. I can't do math very well. Um, 288, but who's coming? Thank you. Uh, but I guess with adding a new member to the family, how do you keep it minimalist? Because there's so many baby items out there. There's constantly new safety guidelines starting. Uh, and there's very excited first-time grandmas. So yeah. <laughs> with without... Hurting feelings and <laughs> how, how do you how do I live without hurting feelings? <laughs> you don't. I mean that that's the thing. So 
So first off, there is no how-to. Here, here's the problem that you're running into, and we'll have a conversation about this. But you're more concerned about their feelings than your family's well-being. I know that hurts. I'm, I don't mean it to. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, it, but it's, it's serious. And I've had to go through this in my own, my own life. Um, I'm so grateful for my wife's parents because they birthed her. We don't have the best relationship in the world, though. Um, and at first, it was like, well, how do I make them like me? Well, there's no equation for that, right? Someone likes you or they don't. And it's not up to me to determine who likes me and for what reasons. Because I can be disingenuous and do these 17 different things that will make them like me, but as soon as I do the 18th thing that goes against their expectations of me, now all of a sudden I've what? Hurt their feelings. Here's the, here's the truth. You can't hurt their feelings. Only they can hurt their feelings. If they are upset with some decision you make for your family, now you can approach them kindly and with compassion and with gratitude and acceptance, but you can also say no to things that aren't adding value to your life. Now, I found in my own life the best way to say no is to tell them what you're saying yes to. So it's not about no, no, no. It's about you know what, the reason we're not bringing more things into our house right now is we're saying yes to a clutter-free home. And by approaching it with kindness and love, guess what they want for you? Love, kindness, contentment, happiness, peace. They certainly don't want your life to be more chaotic, except we've been sold this lie that gift-giving is a love language. It's nonsense. It's like saying pig Latin is a romance language. (laughs) The real love language is adding value to someone else's lives. That's why they buy you a gift. They want to add value to your life. So if you can show them other ways, better ways, that they can add value to, their, to, to your life, then maybe you won't upset them. But even if you do, well, it's not on you anyway. To set boundaries is to love. And that's my pithy answer for you, because it's loving to yourself. It's actually loving to your family. I know it seems rude, but when you're expressing your values, when you're expressing your boundaries to others, it actually helps them love you more. Um, man, I, I, I love my in-laws. I'm, I actually feel really lucky that um, we, we have an awesome relationship. But they will, the first couple Christmases, like they got me some T-shirts and some other things. And... Um, I was just like, I, I was grateful for it. And I, but in a very kind way, I'm like, hey, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm probably not going to wear this. Like, I know that's an amazing gesture for you to give this to me, and I appreciate it. Please don't think I don't. But I, I would love to find this a new home. Is, is that okay with you? Or, or would you rather try and find it uh, a home? And uh, my mother-in-law, she was like, she's like, you know what? Thanks for being honest. She was like, I was wondering whether or not you would like wear that. She was like, I, she's like, I do have someone else in mind that I could totally give that to. And I've actually seen that person wearing that T-shirt. Um, it's a true story. <laughs> so it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. But when, and here's another pithy answer. When you approach anything with compassion, you can talk about anything. One thing I would add to it is I would just say boundaries are easier for other people to accept when you establish them ahead of time, you know? 
So if, if I can anticipate that certain people are going to need to get a hold of me, um, it might be better if I say, hey, just as a heads up for the next two weeks, things are going to be pretty crazy. I might not be very available than to say that in the heat of the moment, like, hey, man, I'm busy right now. Right. And so if you anticipate that your parents are going to try to do certain things, it might be good to have a conversation about that now before the baby comes and say, hey, just as a heads up, here are some things that we're trying to do in our home. This is very important to us. And I know you want to show love. So these forms of love are welcome. But for these forms, I would ask that, you know, respect this boundary for the sake of what we're trying to do. Don't be defensive yeah. about it. Talk to them like you expect them to be cool with it. Yeah, I'm just yeah. I'm anticipating a package from my mother. Like, I found all these cute clothes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh God. Well, you know, it's what, what, ultimately, if someone does overstep a boundary, like in a weird way, like it, it's, it's kind of an unloving thing, but they certainly don't mean it that way. Right. <laughs> right like yeah. she's doing it out. You know, that's. Her expression of, of of love. So if someone does do that, like just you don't need to get upset about it. But what I'll tell you is, when someone gives you something, it's yours, and you can do whatever you want with it. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, here's something pithy for you. We'll wrap it up. Um, if someone oversteps a boundary, it's because they didn't truly understand the boundary. And quite often, the reason people don't understand a boundary is because we don't respect our own boundaries that we set up. We set up a boundary and then we cross the line. Of course, someone else is going to cross it then. Thanks for your question. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations again. All right, I'll try to be more pithy with these final three. All right. Okay. <laughs> Hi. Howdy. What's your name? My name's Jess. Hey, Thanks Jess. for having hey. us tonight. Thank you. I'm just having a super flashback to five years ago in my college dorm room when I was bored and I was like, let me turn on Netflix and minimalism popped up and you guys have seriously changed my life. Oh, so that's awesome. that's thank beautiful. you so much. Thanks, Jess. Um, my question is, I don't know. I feel like really recently I've been um, like on my mind and heart. I've been struggling with technology and mainly like iPhones. I have an iPhone and just really, um, yeah, getting kind of angry at it and angry at like how we are just overly connected all the time and how there's an expectation that we should be kind of like you were talking about like accessible um and I like don't have any social media on my phone um maybe a dating app here or there but um I like got rid of gmail too but I guess I'm just struggling like where are y'all at even like during your work day I know Josh you said you put your phone in a junk drawer when you go home um but just in general, like, how is your relationship with your phone? I don't know if you have a smartphone, but just, like, this concept that, like, in general, people think, like, they can always contact me, and maybe, like, I'll feel bad if I don't respond to a text, like, within the day's time. Yeah, well, you, you, your problem isn't with technology. Your problem is with other people's expectations. And um, that's all of our problems. All the anxiety you feel is relational in nature, right? And so it's because other people have an expectation of you and you feel obligated to fulfill it. If it, the expectation was really absurd, like if I expected you to do a thousand jumping jacks before you, before you asked the question, I'd be like, screw you, I'm not doing that. And, and it's because my expectation is not something you're willing to meet. But right now, because you're willing to meet their expectations, something's happening within you. You don't want to meet them, but you're also, you value the way they think about you more than you value peace, tranquility. 
And so here's a pithy answer for you. Your emotions indicate what to let go of. That's good. Thank you. Uh, I would just say when in doubt, go without. I mean, if it's, if it's bothering you, I mean, put it away. Like, it's, it's interesting because I'll send someone a text, and I used to get all angsty and, like, insecure, like, when they didn't get back to me, especially if they got the red receipt and I could see that they read it. Yeah. I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> what have I done to offend you? But then I realized, like, I do the same exact thing. It's just because, like, you know, I'm in line at a grocery store. Someone texts me. I read it. I'm like, okay, I'll get back to them later. And then I get a flat tire and whatever. Like, and I totally forget about responding to that person. Um, so now I start to give people the benefit of the doubt. I don't take it personally anymore. And by doing that, I'm setting the expectation for them not to take it personal when I don't respond to them. I have people all the time who will do exactly what I just described. I don't stress about it. Um, it's still like sometimes because if it's like three people like sometimes it'll happen like with three different people in a day I'm like alright what's going on did I like I don't know did, did, did I like do a you know Instagram live when my zipper was down or something like you know what the heck is going on um, but I still will be able to catch myself and be like dude relax like if, it, if, if, if it's important to them they'll get back to you and if not and then they'll respond back to me oh I'm so sorry you know blah 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 blah, blah. and I just respond back to them like Hey, look, I do that all the time. And the reason why I, you know, I'm not freaking out about this is because when I inevitably do this to you, like I also expect like kind of the same space. So really it sounds to me like, you know, there's an opportunity here to um, redefine or uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. Josh, you got all the words. Help me. But, but, but to redefine your expectations with, with other people. And it is possible to do that. Here you go. Your happiness is moderated by your expectations. Sometimes you got to let go of the phone. Sometimes you got to let go of the people who don't understand that you're not going to be a slave to the phone. Thank you. Thanks, Jess. All right, I see two more. Howdy. We're getting close to the end. What's your name? Uh, hi, my name is Chrissy. I'm from Haleyville, Alabama. Hey, Chrissy. And I am, uh, first I have to say, I'm so excited. I've been hoping that get closer to the mic yes i'm hoping that tk would be our special guest so i am (laughs) beyond excited (laughs) right now (laughs) what's your question so my question is that uh, i have a mentor employer relationship and i'm asking how do i i've grown beyond that and i need to move forward in my career and in doing that i need to sever that relationship and how do i do that without a form of detriment to that relationship. Are you the mentor or mentee? I'm the mentee. Oh, get the heck out of here. They've done their job. They, they've done their job. Yes, yes they will thank you. But in doing this, I've become, uh, I, I'm an attorney. And in doing this, I will, I will literally become their adversary. Hey, I, you know, there are, <laughs> sounds like a lawyer joke, but there are already too many attorneys out there. <laughs> True that. <laughs> yeah. So, so like one more isn't, isn't going but to... But how do I sustain that relationship with well, well, a mentor? Well, I mean, any good mentor-mentee relationship, if, if eventually, if it's done properly, that mentor-mentee relationship, it, it may come to an end. I mean, Josh and I, we have this really symbiotic relationship because we kind of play mentor-mentee to each other. Yes, you do. But it's always in different ways 
throughout life. So maybe that relationship will look different. Maybe it will start to be more symbiotic relationship. And maybe that's what to focus on is uh, how, do, how, do you, how do you make it more symbiotic rather than trying to sever it? Because you don't have to sever it. It's just going to look a little bit different moving forward. If I was your mentor, I would be ecstatic that you would be moving on to something else. And if they're jealous and upset and whatever it is, well, they are jealous and upset. That doesn't mean you have to be, you have to have any negative emotions attached to that. TK? You say you don't want to leave her because you fear becoming her adversary. It's a he, but yes. He, sorry. How much bigger of an adversary would you become if you stay there spitefully? well past the moment that you've already emotionally checked out. So many times in order to avoid conflict, we pretend to be happy in places that we're not. And then we feel like martyrs. We start to get bitter and we resent the other person for not reading our minds and being the one to make the decision that we should have made for ourselves a long time ago. If you really want to protect people from the adversarial version of yourself, Get out of relationships with them when your heart is no longer there. It is an act of charity to the other person. It's not just a self-interested act for you to leave and go do what makes you happy. It's an act of love towards them as well. Because the moment you start treating people that you're in a relationship with as if you're doing them a favor by staying with them, that's an insult to their dignity and you're holding them back from something that they really deserve, which is a heck of a lot more than that. So you got to get out of there because you're going to become a far worse adversary. Second thing is, don't be the one to make the choice about the adversarial nature of things. Force him to make that choice. Be honest. Say, hey, you've done your job well, and I really appreciate you. It's time for me to take my next step. My career journey is leading me in this direction. This is what I intend to do. I appreciate everything you've done for me, and I just wanted you to be the first to know. And now he has the choice and he can say, I'm so proud of you. Go do your thing. Or he can say, well, you know what? War is war. And that's his choice. And if that's his choice, let it be what it is. But just because the other person is fighting doesn't mean you have to fight back. Right. It takes two to tango. If, 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 if we're playing tug of war and I'm pulling on the rope and you let go, I fall back and I look stupid and you're free. Right. Just because he's mad and he declares himself to be your adversary doesn't mean you need to give him any further thought. Focus on your mission. Focus on your person or your purpose. Go after what makes you come alive and ignore the rest. Thanks for your question. Thank you so much. Thank you. Howdy. What's your name? Hi, Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey, ben. What's on your mind? Best for last. <laughs> um, so my wife and I are looking to expand to a big, slightly bigger house, a little more space. Um, and how can you be proactive about expanding your life, but keeping in mind that you don't want to eventually end up with a dumpster outside your house. Mm. Um, it reminds me of the first documentary we did, Minimalism, and there was an architect, uh, Frank, and I don't know if this actually made, uh, I know it was in the bonus footage, but he talked about how um, most people, they, they buy a house and then cram a life into it, and what he helps people do is he helps build a house around someone else's life. So the pithy answer would be something about um, make sure your home fits your life. Don't try to fit your life into someone else's home. Yeah, I think one of the things that um, 
we often do is we feel compelled to buy a big space and then fill it because we feel incomplete. So the pithy answer is you're complete in an empty room. In fact, the most beautiful spaces we go to, museums, tend to be nearly empty, right? And the reason that they're so beautiful is because the lack of excess. Everything is so intentional. So you can have a larger home and still not need to fill it with excess stuff. What's the expansion for? Uh, <laughs> our own bedroom. Uh, uh, so I, I'm in a band, and our uh, rehearsal room is the master bedroom. And so we have the small bedroom, and our... Oh, wait, for a second, I thought you, like, rehearsed in the bedroom. Like, the wife's trying to sleep. She's got the earplugs in. No, no, no. It's a um, screamo band. So just some more space to fit our needs. Uh, you know, a home office that's not also a laundry room. I got it. Yeah, yeah. So you need more space. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just say write that down. You know, so many times we think about a budget as something that only applies to dollars, but budgets apply to energy, budgets apply to space, and so many other things because budgets are really just boundaries, right? And, and they're not boundaries in the sense of like, you don't get to have fun in this way. You don't get to spend your money or your time on that wine or on that play. No, no, it, it's, it's a way of being intentional and saying, I'm going to decide ahead of time what my highest priorities are so that when these resources are available to me, I'm not spending them impulsively. I'm spending them cautiously, deliberately, in a way that's consistent with my mission. And the same is true of your space, right? So write that down. This is what I'm getting this new space for. And since I'm getting it for a reason, I'm going to use it for that reason. I'm going to remember that reason. And I'm going to make sure I hold my life accountable to that reason. And if those reasons change, well, you write those down too. But don't, don't use your space impulsively. Whatever you do, use it intentionally and just take those reasons that you just said and write it down and you have nothing to worry about, man. Ladies and gentlemen, TK Coleman. Yeah. Good luck, Ben. Ladies and gentlemen, the minimalist. Um, I think ultimately what we're talking about here, whether it's that or these other questions, is we're always talking about more. And sometimes we do need more space, but usually when we pursue more, it's for the sake of pursuing more because someone else, some marketer, some advertiser, some peer group, some culture or our society at large told us that more is better. And so we want more, more, more. We never stop to consider less. And the only way we stop to consider less is when we identify what is enough. And that's what TK is talking about here, that time budget, that energy budget, that attention budget. Of course, the financial budget as well, the creativity budget. How am I going to use my resources? Well, I'm only going to know if I know what enough is for me. No one knows what enough is because they never even stop to ask. It's just some hypothetical, far-off thing in the distance. That will eventually be enough. Well, you'll never get there. That's like trying to get to a horizon. You can get in the boat and keep sailing west. You'll never end up at the horizon. You'll reach land on the other side, and there'll still be a horizon out there. And that's because we never stopped and figured out, well, where is my actual destination. What is enough? And here's, here's the secret to that. It's almost never through addition. Enough 
is found through subtraction. Let's thank the City Winery for letting us be here tonight. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Let's give it up one more time for Amy Stroop and yeah. T.K. Coleman. T.K. There's one more person I want to thank tonight. Actually, two. Ryan, I want to thank you. Oh, man. Can't I can't believe... believe we get to do this. I, yeah, I can't believe people show up, man. That's awesome. This is the end of the first half. This is the last tour stop we're doing this year. We're continuing to love people use things tour at the beginning of next year. 20 cities total. You can check them all out on Patreon if you want. But I'm just really grateful that Ryan and I get to spend this time together with you. I don't know where you are in life, but you, you decided to spend some really precious resources with us tonight. Yes, you spent some money, and that's great to get in here. It's wonderful. We get two separate rooms. Awesome. But you spent your most precious resources here tonight. You spent your time and your attention. So give yourselves a round of applause. Yeah. No matter where you're going from here, I hope you leave with just one message. Love people and use things. Because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here tonight. Nashville, thank you. Thank you. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it 